You're listening to The Block Experience, all things decentralized and open source. Enjoy. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt the podcast here. I just want to say this episode of The Block Experience is brought to you by our first sponsor, PrimeXBT. Whether you're looking to trade some of your favorite cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Ethereum and Litecoin, or even venture into other markets, PrimeXBT always has you covered. PrimeXBT offers traders access to a large variety of markets including cryptocurrencies, stock indices, commodities and even Forex pairs, and also have some incredible features such as anonymous accounting, Bitcoin deposits and withdrawals, industry leading security and even the ability to offer 1000 times leverage. I've personally been using PrimeXBT for my trading uh, for the past few months and have had a great experience using the platform, uh, also using the platform's customer service. So I'm really proud that they're supporting this episode of the podcast, uh, bringing you guys a free podcast every week. A link to the services PrimeXBT provide will be below, also a link to sign up to a new account. Uh, So thanks again, PrimeXBT, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Um, and yeah, I hope you continue and like the podcast. Enjoy. So firstly, Alex, I just want to say massive thank you for taking the time out of your day to come and have a little chat with me. Um, I know we've been scheduling this for like two weeks now, but um, yeah, I know I know there's a lot been going on, so I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day, um, firstly. Well, thanks, thanks for inviting me. And honestly, it's, it's sort of a refreshing to be able to to get out of the epidemiology Twitter and thinking about like diseases all day. I've been quarantined in my own home. Also, I suppose you are also in the situation. It's been a crazy time for everyone. So. Yes, yeah, so, so it, it's been pretty, cause I'm from the UK, I am. Uh, it hasn't been that bad. Um, they had this weird, what they wanted to do was they wanted to like try and like, it's like a herd mentality. So they wanted to like, uh, Try and infect as many people as possible quickly. Uh, it didn't seem to. I, really... I saw that. I yeah. saw that. But I, I think they, they, they sort of like step step back away from that in the last minute because they yep. realized it, like it's impossible for you to really isolate all the all the vulnerable people, and you still had like a large amount of, of death from the others. Yes. So yeah, it's it, it was like a bold idea, but I'm glad that they did <laughs> out of it. Yes, yeah, so and so, so now we're are, are working they from home now. The social, I, are they trying the social isolation now? Yeah, so they've closed all the schools for children and some offices are... So I work in an office and I've, I've, I'm working from home now. So, yeah. Yeah, same thing here. And, like, we've... we've like, they've closed all, most public spaces. They're asking people not to go to the beach. They are asking people for, like... We, we are, like... A lot of people who would came here to, to do something, we we also dispense them. So it's just me, my wife, and the kid all day here. To be honest, I think the kids are loving it. They <laughs> they just spend all day at home with like mommy and daddy and just figuring out new things that we create, like, activities that we have to create for them. So I think the kids are loving this. <laughs> yeah. Um. What 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 what's your opinion on it so far? Do you think? uh we're just getting started because i obviously it's had a huge impact on the price of like obviously uh normal stocks traditional stocks uh also obviously crypto ethereum um what's your take on that so it's interesting right it did 
go a little bit against the usual narrative of when a society collapses, like Bitcoin will be king. And I think that's clearly not going to be the case. Like it, there are some some moments where it it is an unrelated asset, but I think like when when times are really hard, people people are not trying. I think people are just not wanting to take any risks. Uh, I think, I mean, go, bringing it back to crypto a little bit, what I found very interesting from this, uh, like uh, where like a story would be the maker story, because uh, like as Ether was falling falling hard, uh, maker lost maker lost the die peg, right? And I think it was basically things that everyone was expecting. Um, I think everyone expected that Maker could fail under a situation where network was congested, the prices were dropping really, really low and really fast, and people weren't really sure. People were not really sure how those things, what exactly would fail, but everyone was sort of, okay, there are a lot of working parts here, turning gears here that might fail when those two things happen. And that did happen. Uh, Dai lost its peg in the in the in the last few weeks, and now they are trying to do to 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 do the the Baker auction, right? I think it's happening right now. But the nice thing about the story is to see how many people sort of came together. Uh, Brandon from Dharma made. Have you seen that? So Brandon from Dharma uh, made a huge list of people who were committed to be to. To be participating on the on the maker auction, mostly to send the message that everyone in DeFi was in this together, where people want to see Dai succeed, they want to see Maker succeed, um, and if that means like putting their money where their, their mouth is and putting some money on the new Maker auction, I think that 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 that's a good thing, right? It's a bet on the future. Maker, it's a bet in the future of DeFi, and it's sort of a way. And, it, and, and in the end, it's it's good because it, what happens is that previous Maker holders take a little bit of a dilution. Uh, we add new holders, we decentralize the protocol a tiny little bit more, and I think it's good. So I think it's from from if if you want to talk like a, a crypto story, I think that that was an interesting crypto story that came out of it. Yes, yeah, so I was. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask was about uh, obviously Maker. So what what I understand happened was that the, the drop we saw in the Ethereum price happened so quickly and so swiftly that, um, like Dai lost his peg and then it sort of uh, triggered huge amounts of automated liquidations or something. Is that correct? So what 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 happened? Yeah. So what happens is that whenever uh, so. Whenever the price of Ether starts falling, right. right, what will happen is that Maker has a bunch of little like pots of money where that, that back each it, that so every time you put some Ether, you take some die out, you have an inherent, inherent promise that if the Ether falls beneath a certain price, you have to burn your die back or put more Ether on it to keep right. to make sure that die is always backed by right. something, right? So so when that doesn't happen, what they do is that they they then take the whole pot and just put it to sale, right? They just put it to auction and make right. sure that whoever is on the market will buy. So they buy the collateralization. You buy the collateral, right. and that would, in theory, keep the die under peg because now you're 
burning the eye, you're sending the collateral to someone else. Yeah. But what did happen is that because the price fell so, so fast, first of all, some oracles, some of the oracles went out of date. Uh, actually, like if, if you go back, what happens, what the first thing that happens is that when the price is starting to, fail, to, to, to fall fast, people start sending transactions to network. Maybe those are people who want to sell their, their ether. Maybe those are people who are worried about their, their, their DeFi things and want to make sure that they are over collateralized. People who were in the maker space uh, worry about their like losing their vote. So everyone floods to the Ethereum ecosystem trying to fix it because it's not only maker, right? There are many other right. DeFi protocols that when the Ether price goes down, you it sort of requires people to do something. So when everyone starts jumping into the jumping, trying to post transactions, then of course networks gets congested, and the the gas price goes super high. And because of that, then a lot of people who are trying to do to do new new transactions, like they send transactions under the gas price, and then that also congests congests the network with with a lot of transactions that are just floating on the mempool but are not gonna not, not might not be picked up for for hours still. Uh, and then so what happens is that there are a lot of people trying to save their collaterals and, and, and bots and they're not able to do it. So those votes uh, go under auction. And when they go under auction, uh, in theory there should be a bunch of people like just watching those votes and bidding on them. But the truth, the thing, because of, because the network was congested and nobody was really prepared for for this particular situation, there weren't enough liquidity bots who were just bidding on those votes. So one very a few very smart guys started just sending transactions with a high with a high fee, paying zero ether for zero die for that. So basically, people just got ether for literally free, right? right. If you were the only person who was able to bid on those on those on those auctions, well, you got them. So you, you were able to get either for free. Yeah, cause I and because I think, of that, I think some people got it for they got it for zero dollars, right? That's exactly. People got for for zero dollars. Hey everybody, sorry to interrupt the podcast here. I just want to give a big shout out to our second sponsor of this episode, DApps. DApps is a planned privacy blockchain with a focus on security, scalability, and total privacy. The goal of DAP's protocol is to create a fully autonomous staking coin and payment system with trustless governance structure. Based upon the latest technologies which we have seen from projects such as Monero and PVIX. The main goal of DAP's is to anonymize assets and secure an infrastructure for development of further precedented setting technologies. Privacy is DAP's main goal and if you really are interested in using a payment system which is completely decentralized and with trustless governance, um, be sure to check them out. I'll put a link down below to all of their websites and their white paper uh, if you're interested in taking a look into the project. Um, but yeah, big thank you to DAPS for sponsoring this episode. And I hope you guys enjoy. And let's get back to the episode. Like you were saying uh, about the people buying up for zero ETH. Uh, for yeah, so... Few dollars. Exactly. So, so for some reason, people... So, so due to do to do... Due to the, to these network network conditions, basically what happened is that people were able to buy a lot of auctions like for free, and I think Maker realized that Maker is trying to change things and uh, like uh, and I think they propose a lot of solutions for that in the future. Things like 
not have like have larger auctions so there are not so so many like there were like many vaults closing at the same time so people had a hard time following them and have a larger amount of, of liquidity bots who, who bought them but the so, end result is that they are four million die under collateralized right yeah that was going to be my question which is like what is the end result so really they 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 they're out of pocket by four million dollars yeah, exactly. So they, they are out of pocket for $4 million and they need somehow to fix that. Right. And the way that they are, they, they decided to do that is to make a new maker option, which I think makes sense because the, the social contract with, uh, with Augur, with Augur, with maker, is that if something goes bad, then the maker holders should be the one who, who are losing money, right? The maker holders are the ones who should always be taking should, who should be taking the risks and should be like having, like paying if something goes bad. So they're they're running a new maker auction, and I think they're running it right now. I don't have the link to to follow it, but the idea is that uh, I believe that Maker never. So I believe that Maker only ran had a, a fixed amount of of Maker before, and then everything is just you're just burning Maker to do a lot of the transactions, right? So they're gonna do. What I think it's the first in a few of uh, many years, a new maker offer, and so that means that previous maker owners are gonna get diluted. They are probably gonna have a little bit of a haircut there, but the goal is to make sure that they they are gonna offer as many maker as it takes to burn four million four million die. Right. Because that's that's important to notice, right? They are not selling it, and the money is not going to someone. They are not raising four million dollars that they can use somehow they're just burning four million die in order to get to 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 get more maker to to get less die in circulation and to have more maker on it right to level out the loss exactly to level out the loss so that's a full solution um so following on from that obviously this last year has been huge for decentralized finance pretty much parabolic growth uh pretty much seems to be maybe Ethereum's main uh, attraction maybe right now, you could say. Um, but do you think it's important for like companies developing in the DeFi space to sort of uh, take precautions to, to sort of like predict this type of stuff happening in the future? Or... Well, I think we are already doing that. I think like in, in the last few years, people took auditing much more seriously. People right. are taking formal verification much more seriously. And we just, there are now two companies offering con smart contract insurance, with, which I think it's, it's, it's fantastic. And I believe some people have, were able to, to lay claims on the, so, I think those two are Nexus Mutual and the, oh, I forgot the name of the other one. Do, do, do you remember the second uh, smart contract insurance? It's, uh, I just forgot the name. Okay. But yeah. so, so Nexus offers uh, DAI uh, covers, but it's a mutual fund, which means that basically like whenever, whenever something goes bad, you need to ask everyone else who's been covered or the, the people who hold the Nexus token, if they are okay in covering that particular situation, right? So it's really a case-by-case -case scenario where people say, look, I lost this. Is, is this covered under a smart contract rule? Which is, is a good question, right? I think 
it's it was not a smart contract bug per se. It was mostly like the network misbehaving in a way that is unexpected. Uh, but it's it's up to the it was up to the to the Nexus com, Nexus community to decide if they wanted to cover that or not. But I think it's healthy in a sense that now, uh, like um, unlike the DAO situation, basically like a few years ago, like when when DAO happened, like Ethereum was one year old. People were like extremely naive with everything they were doing. They were like ba basically no auditing back then, or right. they were they were auditing, but they were they weren't taking it seriously and there was no insurance and things like that today we are in a different situation i think if you are if you have a high quantity of money in DeFi, you should definitely consider using other like making sure that you are covered in other ways and i think just for instance nexus the cost of insuring nexus is often less than what you get in then what do you just get in 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 DeFi interest? So if you just put, let's say, so I think it's it's really like a no no brainer if you have let's say ten thousand dollars in in Dai, and if you put it in a multi sig, let's say, right? Let's say a multi sig multi sig, right. uh, you get what five percent, eight percent? Like if it was nine percent the beginning of the year. I think the the yeah. rates were now down to six. But uh, you get about like a six percent per year. If you take, uh, I think half percent of that per year and buy yourself uh, insurance, that means that if anything goes bad, right? That that's certainly a worthwhile cost, right? right. Take one percent or half a percent of yours, what what you're gaining anyway, to cover insurance on smart contracts. So I think. That's the, the thing you should be like. If you're a company building DeFi right now, you should be very aware of this stack you're building on, and and to to know to think, okay, where where I am vulnerable and where should I be taking like insurance, where I should be using things from other people's stacks and things like that. Yeah, I I agree. Um, let's just take a full like a big step backwards first. Uh, do you want to just tell us? Um... A little bit about you and how you originally got into the space. Sure. Uh, uh, did like did I introduce myself? In uh, no, we, we jumped like... right into it. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so my name is Alex van der Sande, uh, and I've been. I'm. I'm a designer. I think I was among the first designers in the Ethereum Foundation. Uh, I believe I was like the fifth, or I, I was the third employee in FDev, which was the company building the the network. So I was very lucky to be in the beginning, like in the beginning of the network and to work on the early years, like working on usability, working on how to improve uh, the, the UX of the, the, the user experience of the network as, as a whole. So I've been, well, I've been very lucky to be like, to have a front row seat to be the most interesting aspects of the history of Ethereum so far. That's super cool. How 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 have you found the UX and like UI of Ethereum so far? Uh, like, what type of aspects do you think could be improved on, and what do you think is missing? So, well, I've been working on this for a while, right? And um, like the first time I started working on the UX, we we, we didn't even have a UI a, a graphical user interface client. It was just terminal. 
So my work in the, in the first month was just how do I actually improve, let's say, the documentation or how do I improve like the terminal command? It's like in order for you to install this, this thing that we've built, it takes like three lines of three lines of copy paste. Can you improve it by one line or do we can we make a better website so people who don't understand like who don't really understand but want to play around can follow so that was in the beginning and then we started building things and i helped build the first wallet i helped build the first browser and at some point we realized look we we need usernames so i helped launch the your naming system to right. so we can start using like username instead of, of hex addresses and i think we 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 slowly are trying to solve most issues so my my latest crusade is being among against the the very basic foundation of using a private key pair uh, like cryptography to store your funds. I think that's something we all do. That's something that we've learned from Bitcoin. That's something that it's almost like if you use crypto, then the way you store funds is in a hardware wallet or you save your twelve word seed phrase, right? Right. And I think that's that's a bad way to go. I think we need to have better, smarter wallet. I think the way to go is that every user should get a smart wallet. Every user should have a a multi sig account because for the user, for them to understand that either they have a key or they don't, and if they lose the key, they lose all their money. Um, or if they make too many copies of their key and someone steals that, they lose all their money. That's very hard pill for a user to follow. I think also like it could like there's a lot of integration in the future. I hundred percent think this will happen, where like you have Apple and Samsung phones, uh, they come built in with like crypto wallets and stuff inside them. Um, I think that's something that's going to be quite huge. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, uh, so the interesting thing about, so the interesting thing about thinking on like crypto being integrated with the phones is that like, I'm not sure the way to do it is expect Apple to have a crypto wallet, a native no, crypto wallet. Right. Like Samsung has a, crypt, a native crypto wallet in some phones. I understand that Opera has a native crypto wallet. I'm very happy that they do. But in the end, what I like, what is really interesting is that most of our devices are already biometrically secure, right? right. So if if I was going to ask like just one thing from those from device manufacturers is that allow us to save keys in your like uh, uh, allow an easy API to create keys that are compatible with Ethereum and, and Bitcoin inside your security enclave in the best way possible because that's that's in the end the goal right the goal is for you to have like if you have a single device because every one of us most people have at least two devices some people have three devices it's not uncommon for for people to have multiple devices because you have your laptop you have your phone you often you have an ipad sometimes you have other devices from people in your family of course that's that's speaking from um, probably like probably from an elitist point of view, but most people who are in crypto right now do have at least two devices. So if you imagine this scenario where you have one key per app per device, that would mean that if you have, let's say two or three apps 
and you have two or three devices, you can easily get the user to have four or even nine different keys, right? Because suddenly you have like one key per app per device. Right. And if you have nine different keys, it's a much more safer way to keep your Ether or your Bitcoin. Because now, uh, if you lose a single device, you have the other device to, to recover. If one of your apps is, is malicious, you can always cancel that, that, that you can always revoke that key with your other apps. And it's also, it's an experience that the user is already used to. When you buy, let's say a new iPad and, and you log in into your Apple ID for the first time, the first thing that's gonna happen is that you're gonna have uh, a pop-up saying, hey, open your phone and confirm if that's that's you who are logging yeah. in. So that's something that users are used to. So I think it's, it's, it's probably the best way to think about it have multiple devices and have, like in the future I would love if my watch could be a, a second a second factor maybe mm -hmm. my maybe my my airpods could be a second fa another factor maybe my future ring could be a, a factor right i think the future is that we need to store funds in modisigs in smart wallets and have as many keys in as many different devices that we use day to day not necessarily harder wallets, because I think the future of harder wallets is that everything is going to be a harder wallet. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Could you just quickly just give a brief explanation for those who do not know what a multi-sig is? Just so super basic. That's actually something that has been, yeah, the, so they, so a basic multi-sig is just one account that you can save your crypto Multiple that is signatures. usually uh, multiple signatures. So the usual thing is you have four owners and you can use two of any of those two owners of those two keys can move funds. Right. So I think I, I, I like the term smart wallet because, or smart account because it goes way deeper than that. So like Bitcoin has multi-sig and has had multi-sig forever. But if you want to do what, like if you want to do offer other things with the user, you want to offer things like, having them set a daily limit that says, look, you can only spend up to a hundred, like you can only spend up to a hundred dollars per day using a single key. If you want to spend more than that, you have to approve a secondary thing or even have things like social recovery where you point a few of trusted friends or even a harder wallet that in last resort, if you lose all your keys, if you are uh, like, if you, you can be recovered and you can be creative about it. That's, that's a cool thing. Like if you think about things like a, a dead man switch, a dead man switch is the idea that if, at, if, if your wallet is inactive for let's say a year, if none of your current keys do any transaction for a year, maybe you can set up people who will be your, 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 high, your, your, that will inherit your wallet. Right. right. You're basically saying, yeah. look, if, if like, if I don't do any transactions, then my kids can take over my wallet for me in about a year time, right? Yeah. And so that's, that is a sort of thing that, like, or even things that we are not even thinking about right now, but people could build in the future. So that's why I like the, the word smart wallet better because smart wallet is more than just a modific. In fact, that, that is an old idea. I remember when we were building GAF, I, like I was with Jeffrey Wilkie in Amsterdam, and we were like thinking how would how we were building the the account management inside Gaff. And one of the things he was saying is, look, 
I think this the accounts like key base accounts are going to be just a temporary thing. Like in a few months, you're just gonna everyone who is gonna just use a proxy wallet so we can use smart contracts and nobody will using like private keys anymore. And I think that that was definitely something that wasn't like in the roadmap, but we sort of like thought that yeah, that's like in six months we are gonna solve that. And that that's not how you went. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's very interesting. Um can I ask you like even before this, what what attracted you to Ethereum in the first place? Obviously, I'm guessing you've originally got into crypto through Bitcoin, I'm guessing, like most people. Uh, but what sort of, like, attracted you to Ethereum instead of other blockchains? So, funny thing, who attracted me to Ethereum was actually Gavin Anderson, right? The Bitcoin guy. And I think it's, it's I, I'm love that he's now building stuff in Ethereum. But basically... Like when I discovered Bitcoin, I think there was this experience where people go to the rabbit hole, right? Or first, oh, it's money on the internet. That's right, interesting. Right. But then you, oh, wait, what does it mean that it's money on the internet? Then you, <laughs> people were talking, look, because it's money on the internet, you can build other things. You'll be able to build, like, you'll be able to build uh, like smart contracts. You're going to be able to build tokens on top of it you're going to be able to build auctions and exchanges and everything is going to be on chain and i was like whoa bitcoin is going to be incredible and everyone was like yeah like everything is going to happen in bitcoin or if it's not going to happen to bitcoin it's going to happen in something that's going to probably you're going to probably be able to buy with bitcoin so that's why you should so that's what was the reason that i started buying bitcoin i think 2012 probably oh, wow. 2012 right. 2013 because I, I understood like this is going to be the next big thing or this is going to be the gateway that will help me take to the next big thing. And then I started following any sort of project that was promising to build more than just like the price of Bitcoin, right? I didn't really care about where the price was going up and, or down. To be honest, I still don't really follow markets to, 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 to very much extent right now. Uh, but my point is that I really wanted to follow like wh where people were building those, all those cool new things. And so I started following like MasterCoin and Colored Coins and, 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 and Waves and all those things. And among them, Ethereum. Like I read the white paper and I was like, whoa, this is fantastic. I want to be a part of this community. And the community is what attracted me really because that's where people were exchanging ideas like those were the forums and that community where people were actively wanting to build things all the other communities were not as lively as that so that's how i basically forgot everything else and just start building on ethereum and sort of like becoming friends with the people who were building on ethereum and then at some point i say hey i really want to work in this field does anyone need the designer and that's that's how i got got in and I guess since then, that like a, a present day, nothing really competes with Ethereum in the same level as the the community aspect, where the amount of developers on Ethereum is pretty is 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 definitely unmatched by any other blockchain. And I I can't really see any other blockchain catching up in terms of developer numbers, and the size of the community. And I think the community will will inevitably make Ethereum, um, way superior than any other blockchain, even though it already is. 
Well, we can always fail the community. We can always be bad at managing the communities. Communities can split. Communities can go bad. The Ethiopian community has changed a lot in the in the, in the last few, few years. I would say it has changed for good. It has, has grown, uh, so I'm still happy with it. But it's not it's not an insurmountable mold. But the interesting thing is that most of the other, even, even a lot of the competitors in the Ethereum space are building things that are compatible with EVM, right? So Polkadot is EVM compatible. A lot of the other guys are EVM compatible. Uh, I think Tron is also EVM compatible, isn't it? I think it's one of the pieces that he just plagiarized with, with the EVM paper, right? Right. I, I might be wrong, but I, that, that's, that's what I remember. I now. think I remember reading something. So yeah. It pro yeah, so it probably means that I think if the future isn't Ethereum, then the future is going to be a network of networks of Ethereum-compatible sidechains, right? Right. Where Polkadot might be one of them, or like maybe they are sidechains, maybe they are shards, maybe they are parachains, like Polkadot likes to call them. But my point is that I think EVM is here to stay. Like, like it or dislike it, like Solidity is going to be the new JavaScript of the new web where people will love to hate it, but I think it's gonna it's gonna have a long lifespan. So I think if you are developing Ethereum right now, I think even if even if, if Ethereum doesn't end up being the most valuable chain, like the knowledge you get from developing on Ethereum right now, it's gonna be transferable to whatever comes next. Just like when I joined Bitcoin, knowing that Bitcoin would be the pathway that would take me to the next thing, I'm pretty sure that like Solidity is still the pathway for whatever comes next. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, one last thing I wanted to, which is quite a large thing, I guess, to get your opinion on is how do you think or what, what, what impact do you think Ethereum 2 will have on, uh, on blockchain, in ge generally speaking? Well, that is a good question. Because um, obviously so we've got I phase not, two coming out uh, Q3, yeah, I think, is it? I I am not, a, so I don't follow very closely the research on phase two. I know that it's always about almost there to, to launch. Uh, but my opinion is, I want one of those that has the opinion that like Ethereum, dot, like Ethereum 1 is, is is fine, works fine, and probably will work fine for many years to come. And, and like we can probably like in the best way that to, uh, and so we like I'm not super worried or super in a rush to say hey we need to have right. like phase two ready at this moment because there there are many scalability proposition pro, pro, propositions for Ethereum, right? And the interesting thing is that all of them have. The, while while we are looking for the perfect solution, there are already tons of less than perfect solutions. And of course, every less than perfect solution will have some certain draw, drawback. But the main point is that if if we already had the 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 demand for like billions of transactions per second someone would come up with someone will be already using one of those less than perfect solutions right. and the reason people are not using one of those less than perfect solutions is not because scalability is in here it's because usability is in here because it's hard to use the 
stem blockchain thing. Yeah, I, I think you're totally on point with that. I think there's a lot of things which, like, develop, a lot of people seem to be saying that, oh, they keep pushing it back, they keep pushing it back. The timing when it comes to development doesn't really matter as long as the end product is perfect, I guess, uh, as perfect as possible. And I think there's a lot of other areas we can work on uh, in the meantime, even if that, even if Ethereum 2 takes two years from now or three or even one year, it doesn't really matter. I think usability and like user experience is a, is a huge factor, uh, which we can learn and like expand. And also, obviously, DeFi keeps us interesting for the time being, uh, which is a huge space. I agree. I think that one of the reasons that DeFi is able to explode is that they don't care much about either usability right. or yep. or scalability. I mean, not that they don't care, but the truth is just like getting your own bank account or a credit card is, is already tough, right? So like the, 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 the normal usability is bad. Right. And scalability isn't that such a problem because every transaction is usually a high value transaction. So you don't, you don't mind paying like 50 or 30 or maybe 10 cents for a transaction. Right. Uh, I think it would be a bigger problem. Like, and that's also the reason that, that things like blockchain gaming isn't growing, right? Because gaming is the opposite. Gaming is super easy for you to get into a game right now. And like you can download whatever platform you go into there. They already have credits. They already have onboarded your money. Right. It's super easy for you to download, create a new account and start playing right away. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think because gamers are so used to that e usability of su super easy to play, plug and play, um, go into, I don't know, let's say you have to use your private key to log into it. It starts to get very complex and then gamers will just give up. So I, I completely agree with you. Exactly. Um, so just where can people find you? Uh, do you want to let people know what projects you're working on? Um, where they can find you on Twitter or any other sources. Sure. Okay, so le let's start with the shoe phase. So if you like, I've, I'm really focused on improving usability on Ethereum. Like my latest project, I, I'm now I have like a minor role in the foundation now. I'm just like advising a few things here and there. But like my most like my day job is Unilogging, which is a way in which we try to solve this big usability. If you want to know more about it, it's unilogin.io and I am AVSA on Twitter so just four letters amazing thank you so much thank you thanks for inviting me hey everybody sorry to interrupt the podcast again here I just want to give a big shout out to our third sponsor of this episode Axie Infinity you may have heard a few weeks ago I did a, uh, a podcast episode with Axie Infinity's co-founder Jiho where we talked about the importance of gaming uh, on the Ethereum blockchain and the impact it will have over the coming years. Well, Axie Infinity is now a sponsor of this podcast and do some incredible work uh, inside the Ethereum community. Uh, Axie Infinity is a Ethereum-based game, like I said, where you can breed, collect, or even buy uh, Axie Infinities from the marketplace. Um, then you can level them up, face, face off against friends, uh, send your Axies into duels and tournaments, and earn yourself some really neat rewards such as Ethereum or in-game items that you can use to level up your characters even further. Uh, I've smart the meta by breeding new axes 
uh, to gain an edge in the battle, or set up a shop as an Axie breeder and supply Axies to the rest of the community where you can earn yourself um, some Ethereum. Uh, I will put uh, a link to all of the services Axie Infinity provide and even a link to sign up to the game down below. Uh, if you would like to check them out, then please feel free to. Um, once again, um, thank you so much for Axie Infinity for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I think the product is a real resemblance of this podcast and something that we truly inspire to uh, look forward to in the space. So, yeah, we're really excited to see where Axie go in the next few coming weeks. Um, but yeah.